Well, good morning. As Dale was sharing that uh, tidbit of information about his birth, it reminded me that uh, he and I have something in common. My mom, when I was born, was so sure that I was a girl that she didn't have any boys' names picked out. Not even manly alternatives to the girls' names that she had. And so I was born with no name, no plans, no idea of what they were going to name me. So my first name, Michael is actually the name of the doctor who delivered me, (laughs) whom my mother did not know. It was not her normal doctor. It was just somebody in the practice. And so she actually had to ask him his name, and that became my first name. I have no middle name. I have a middle letter. I have just the letter J. There is no name to go with it. She was going to name me after my grandmother, Julia. So I'm glad she just went with the J. Uh, But... I didn't realize that Dale and I had that in common. Well, thank you for being back for our second sermon in our series on facing life storms. And you know, maybe this week you have been through some storms. I've gotten so many emails and calls from different people uh, talking about uh, storms they've gone through this week or in the midst of. You know, maybe some of you are like Chippy the Parakeet who is, the story is told in Max Lucado's The Eye of the Storm. Chippy never knew what hit him. It all started out one morning when his owner decided she would clean the cage using a vacuum cleaner. And so she took the attachment off the end and stuck the hose over in the vacuum cleaner, cut it on, and things were going well, but about that time the phone rang. And she bent over, answered the phone, but before she'd even gotten hello out good, she hears this, whoop, and she looks, and there's no chippy in the cage. So she immediately cuts off the vacuum cleaner, tears open the bag, and there's chippy, alive, but a little stunned. And so she looks at him, he's covered in dust and dirt, and so she grabs him up, races into the bathroom, turns the faucet on, and sticks him under the faucet. Well, it got all the dirt and dust off, but it left him a little cold and shivering. And realizing that, she did what any kind animal owner, pet owner, would do. She wanted to dry him off and warm him up, so she got the hairdryer. Well, somehow, in the course of all of this, a reporter found out about it and did what reporters do. He reported it. And then several days later, he called back to get the follow-up story. So he called back to see how Chippy was doing. And as he talked with the lady and asked that question, she said, Well, Chippy's not the same. She said, He used to sing all the time. Now he never sings. He just sits and stares. And Max Lucado says, You know, that's not surprising, is it? Given the fact that he's just been sucked in, washed up, and blown over. That'll take the song right out of your life, won't it? You know, maybe we are kind of like Chippy this morning. Maybe there's some of you sitting here this morning, and like some in our congregation, you have experienced the unexpected death of a loved one. You're sitting here feeling... sucked in, washed up, blown over. Maybe you went to the doctor 
and the doctor diagnosed cancer or some other dreaded disease. And so right now you're feeling sucked in and washed up and blown over. Maybe it's that you've worked for that company for years and given yourself faithfully to it, and now all of a sudden you're without a job through no fault of your own. They were downsizing, and your position got caught up in the middle of it. And you feel sucked in and washed up and blown over. Maybe you thought you had the best family and the best spouse in the world, and Suddenly your spouse said that he or she was leaving you for someone else. And you feel sucked in and washed up and blown over. Or maybe that son or daughter whom you love so much has made some bad decisions and some unwise choices and all of those things are coming back to haunt them now and truthfully when they haunt them, they haunt you. And you feel sucked in, washed up, and blown over. And so our question is, what do we do when we find ourselves in those kind of situations? What do we do when those storms have done that to us? What do we do to keep our song from being taken away from us? What do we do when we feel sucked in? Washed up and blown over. What do we do when we're dealing with the unexpected and the confusing storms of life? I want you to turn with me this morning to the book of James. James chapter 5. Speaking of James, did, did you and April have a fight? Okay. Just, April says yes, James says no. <laughs> they're just sitting. Normally they're together. They're apart today. But uh, James chapter 5, we're going to start reading in verse 7. As you go in there, let me just remind you something about the book of James. It's the book of practical Christian living. It is the book of that kind of shares with us as you go through the trials and the injustices and, and the problems in life how we're to live it out in our Christian faith, how we are to accomplish what God's Word instructs us to do. It's the most practical, maybe, of all the books in the Bible. And so now we have James's practical advice to us of what to do in these situations. So beginning chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Therefore, brothers, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers, do not complain about one another, so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You've heard of Job's endurance 
and have seen the outcome from the Lord, the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So what's James's instruction to us? What's James's advice? What's James's remedy for all of this? Be patient. I'm going to be honest. I first read that and I'm a little upset with James. Be patient. What, what does that mean, James? Even understanding that it, what he uses here and what he's talking about is not just kind of sitting around and let's wait and see what happens. He, he's talking about an enduring patience that goes on. It still kind of doesn't make a lot of sense to me. What do you mean be patient? How do I do that? How do I apply that in my life? I feel a little bit like Job, you know, Job in the Old Testament. And for those of you that may not be familiar with the story of Job, I'll give you kind of the cliff note version. Job was a man that was described as being a godly man. And he was a man who was very blessed. He had a huge, nice family, a lot of children. He had all sorts of possessions. He had all sorts of money. He was just, everything was going well for Job. And what takes place in kind of the background of Job's life that's going on here on the earth is a discussion between God and Satan. And Satan basically tells God, said, sure, Job's man who's going to call on you. Sure, he's a, a godly man because he's got all this stuff. You take all of his stuff away from him and God, he'll turn his back on you in a heartbeat. And so God allows Satan to do almost anything to Job. He's allowed to take everything away from him but his life. And so he comes back and he does that. He takes away his children. He takes away his possessions. He, he takes all of this away. That's, that's the, the backstory of what's going on in the book of Job. Well, early on in this process, in chapter 6 in Job, Job makes a statement. And I think it kind of applies to this whole idea here because it talks about patience. And Job says, and what is my end? That I should be patient. You hear what he's saying there? Basically saying this. He said, I don't know what is out there. What the end is. But if I had to guess based on what's happening right now. It's not going to be good. And so having an unknown end at best. And an awful end. Probably. He said, what's the advantage to being patient in that? And see. I can identify with that because it's a lot easier to be patient when I know. When I can see what's out there, and here's the part, and it's beneficial to me. When I can look out of the end and see something beneficial to me, I can put up and be patient with what's going on now. Case in point, example, college. I started college. I know some of you excited to start college me not so much I started college but I could look out in the future and know down the road there was an end and in that end I got a college degree and in that college degree I could get a better job I could be patient I could wait for five seven years and get that degree But when you're looking at it and it makes no sense and you can't see the end and the end is unclear to you, what does it mean to be patient? And How do I do that? And then James kind of gives some descriptors of what he's talking about. He says, be patient like the farmer. Be patient like the prophets. 
Be patient like Job. And then he fleshes it out a little bit. So let's look at it as he fleshes it out. He says, be patient like the farmer waiting for the harvest. Now, as I shared with you last week, and as I've shared before, many of you know, I have the proud heritage of having grown up in a farming family. I grew up farming. I understand farming. I know what it takes. And, and I know that there are very few occupations that require more faith than farming. I was thinking about it this week, and there may be some. I thought maybe, you know, the guy who's called upon to detonate or de-arm bombs, maybe he's in there with just as much faith. But very few others. As James talks about it here, he says a farmer, he has to rely on the early rain and the late rain. And when we hear that, we kind of think of it one way in our climate and in our area. But if you were in Palestine, it's, it's actually slightly different. The early rain was the late fall rain. That's the rain that came and built up the water table. That's the rain that came and built up the groundwater so that the soil was ready in the spring to receive the crops. And so we had that early rain and then the crops were planted and then you had the late rain which was actually the spring rain and that spring rain would come and cause the crops then to grow and mature and get to the point of being harvested and so you had to have both you had to have the rain in the fall that built up the water table and you had to have the rain in the spring that nourished the plants as they were growing you needed both of them in order for the harvest to be successful and the truth of the matter is, the farmer has no control over either one of them. Okay, we understand it in terms of the farmer, but what is God trying to teach us? Because truth of the matter, in our fellowship, in our congregation, there are very few people who make their living farming. We have a few, but not many. Now, you may have a garden, you may have a little path, but you don't make your living farming. What is God saying to us? What is he teaching us in all of this? First thing is this. Trust God in the things you can't control. The farmer can't control the weather. He's got to trust God. And in our lives, there are so many things over which we have no control. We can't control the economy. We can't control that unexpected sickness that comes. We can't control most of the accidents that happen. We can't control that death that comes into our family. We have no control over those things. And so what James says to us is in being patient, what you have to understand is you trust those things to God. Let Him have them. Let Him take care of them. Know that He is at work in all of that. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. It is in the storms and in the trials and in the struggles that God is most at work producing in our lives a harvest. Producing in our lives that precious fruit that he desires of us. It's in those moments that God is working 
most directly in your life as he takes you through the storms. But we need to trust him with that. We need to make sure that we give him control and let him guide and direct the process. We need to trust him in the midst of the storms. You know, it's in the storms that anchors take on great importance. There's several things that an anchor does for a big ship, but probably the two most significant ones are it keeps it from drifting with the winds and the current and keeps it stable and on course. And the second thing is that it keeps you from crashing in the midst of the storm. But here's something I want you to understand about anchors, and that is this. You don't know how good your anchor really is until you are in the storm. That's when you appreciate your anchor. Before, it was just kind of there. Yep, I got an anchor. Looks big. Looks sturdy. But it's in the storm that you truly appreciate it. It's in the storm that you truly know it. It's in the storm that you really see what the anchor can do. And in our storms and in our struggles, our anchor is found in Jesus Christ. It's in those storms that we move from having a practical, I mean, a, a theoretical understanding about it to a practical understanding about it. It's in the midst of the storms that we truly understand who God is and what He's doing in our lives. And then I think the second truth we get out of the whole farmer idea is that not only do we trust him with the things we can't control, but we honor him with the things we can control. You notice there in verse 9, he says, do not complain. Do you realize that is something we can control? Our thoughts, our attitudes, our words, our actions. We can control those. And what we need to do is we need to make sure that what we do and what we say and how we act and how we respond is honoring unto God. In the midst of the storm, it's important that we do right and say right and act right. There's a gentleman by the name of Miguel Enduran. And as I said in the other hours... I probably mispronounced his name, but he's not here, so don't tell him. He is a cyclist, a pro cyclist on the tour. And he was asked a question related to how he seemed to be able to remain calm even when he was far back in the pack. And he would just seem not to get excited, not to get upset, but just keep on pedaling along and making his way back to the front. Here's what he said. He said, I inherited that calm from my father. He was a farmer. He said, you sow, you wait for good weather or bad, you harvest, but working is what you always need to do. He said almost the same thing that James said. Trust in the things you can't control and give your best in the things you can control. We can control what we're going to say. 
We can control how we're going to act. We can control how we choose to respond to situations. And we do that to the glory of God. Then he says, be patient like the prophets who spoke the truth. Be patient like the prophets. See, the prophets serve to us as a wonderful example of men who were in the will of God, doing the will of God, and who suffered. We talked about life. Don't ever get confused. Don't get confused that being obedient to God is going to lead you to just bliss and happiness. Remember, Jesus was obedient and it took him to death, even death on the cross. So understand from the prophets that even though you're seeking to serve God, even though you're doing the right things, you will still occasionally suffer. One of my favorite prophets is Elijah. And I love the story in Elijah where he's called by God to go before the king and to tell him that it's not going to rain in the land for three and a half years. Not a drop of rain, not a bit of moisture for three and a half years. And I've preached on that passage many, many times and I always like to point out that's not a job you would like to have. You would not like to go before the king and deliver the message, no rain for three and a half years. He's not going to take that well. He's not going to be blessed by it. He's not going to be excited that you brought him that message. But I think one thing that I sometimes forget in getting excited about where I'm going with that in the story is I forget that what happens is Elijah leaves. He goes out into the wilderness. But, you know, for the next three and a half years, there's no rain falling on the king. For the next three and a half years, there's no rain falling on the land for the next three and a half years there is a drought for all of the people for the next three and a half years Elijah is in the midst of the drought you see he suffers even though he was obedient he suffers even though he was in the will of God now, he goes out in the will, and what happens? God shows that he will take care of him. God shows that he will provide for him, and that's what he tries to teach us in the storms. That's what he's trying to get us to understand, As he says, use the example of the prophets. Understand that God will take care of you. God will provide. God will bring you victory in all of that, just as he brought to Elijah victory over the false prophets of Baal. So he says, in our storms, what we need to do is to be like the prophets. And part of that involves, in the midst of our storms, to speak the truth. Now, what is the truth that God wants you and I to speak out of the midst of our storms? I believe it's this. He wants us to speak of his goodness. He wants us to speak of his faithfulness. He wants to sp us to speak of his compassion. He wants us to speak of his mercy. Because it's in those moments that we truly become powerful witnesses for Jesus. Because you see, if I'm standing up in the midst of everything going well and everything turning up roses and everything looking great, and I say, God is good, that's one thing. But if I can stand up in the midst of the storms and the trials and the struggles, and I can say, God is good, that answers a question that people are asking. 
Is God real? Can he really make a difference? And when you and I speak the truth in the midst of our storms, we tell people, he is real. He does make a difference. And he wants to do it for you. So we are to speak the truth as prophets. And then he says, be patient like Job. Hoping for God's purpose. Look there in verse 11 of James. He says, see we count as blessed those who have endured. How many in here want to be blessed? Let's see your hands. Who wants to be blessed? Yeah, most of us. Pretty much all of us, but most of us. But do you see what he's saying right here? We count as blessed those who have endured. Let me let you in on another little secret. You can't say you've endured unless you've been through the struggle. You can't say that you have endured unless you've been through the storm. You can't say you have endured unless you've been through the trial. Warren Wiersbe says this. He says, there are no victories without battles. There can be no peaks without valleys. If you want the blessing, you must be prepared to carry the burden and fight the battle. Our first inclination, our first desire is to say, no storms for me. Don't need any, don't want any. But the truth of the matter is, that's not what's best for us. The storms and the trials enable us to endure. And in endurance, we receive blessing. If you look back to the story of Job, look back to the book of Job, begin to read through it, you discover something. From the time that it all begins with this encounter that I was talking about, It is 42 chapters of recording his life later that Job discovers God's purpose in what's going on. We, as we read it, we know what's taking place between God and the devil. We understand all Job has no idea. This is happening apart from his physical realm. And so 42 chapters go by. And in the 42nd chapter, we have these words recorded. Job says, speaking to God, I had heard rumors about you. And do you understand what he's saying there? He is saying that prior to this experience, what I knew came from others. What I knew was what I had heard others testify to. What I knew is what I had heard others explain to me. I heard rumors about you. He says, but now, now my eyes have seen you. He says, it is out of this storm. It is out of this experience as bad as it was, as horrible as it was. If you haven't read Job, go in there and read it sometime and just see what all took place and what all happened in his life. But he says, it is out of that storm that now I know you personally. Now I understand who you are. 
Now I understand what you're doing in my life. It moved from being rumors to being real. It moved from being what others told him to being what he knew personally in his life. And he says there, Therefore, I take back my words and repent. So all the things I've been thinking, all the things I had said, God, now I understand. Now that I know you, now that I know what kind of God you are, I take it all back. James says, therefore, brothers, be patient until the Lord's coming. What he says to us is be patient and wait for the conclusion. He says, don't walk out in the middle of the movie. Don't walk out before the last inning of the game. He says, wait for the end. Because here's another truth. Whatever you're walking through at the present is not the end of the story. Whatever you're walking through right now is not the end. God is still God. God is still working. And he's moving you towards his purpose. And he's taking you there. If you look at the last part of verse 11. James says that when we get to the end. When we get to the end of the story. He says what we're going to discover. Is that God indeed. Is very compassionate. And merciful. We get to the end of the story. And like Job. We're going to understand. I believe when we get to the end of our stories. We're going to be like Job. We're going to say as he did. I take back my words. And we're going to say God you remember that time I was complaining about that. You remember that time when I was whining about that situation in my life. God I take it all back and repent. Because I understand now. Indeed you are very compassionate. And merciful. And so what James is saying to us when he says, be patient. He's saying, hang in there till the end. Realize that you don't see it, but God is working out his purpose in you. In geometry and in geography, The shortest distance between point A and point B is a straight line. We learned that in high school. We can see that from looking at the map. But in our spiritual journey, that's not always true. The quickest way to get from the storms and the struggles and the strife we find ourselves in to the end where we find God's blessing and find Him to be compassionate and find Him to be merciful Is simply to trust God. That's the path that gets us there the quickest. And it may not be straight. It may have turns and curves and detours in it. But trusting God. Is what gets us there. So just remember. Whatever you're going through at the present time. Is not. 
the end of the story. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask simply that you would speak to our hearts today. With whatever need, whatever response we should make to your word, Lord, would you just burden us with that so that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt how we are to react. Father, we say we can't control everything, but there are those things that we can control, and one of those things is how we respond. May we respond to what you're leading us to do this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.